Welcome to Grading the Nutmeg, the podcast of Connecticut history, brought to you by the State Historian at UConn Hartford and Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. I'm Walt Woodward. This is part two of our series commemorating the 250th anniversary of the founding of Dartmouth College and its roots in the school to train indigenous missionaries founded by Eliezer Wheelock in the town of Columbia. In this episode, Mohegan elder Beth Regan tells the story of Samson Ockham, the famed Mohegan convert to Christianity who was educated by Wheelock, became a teacher and minister, raised much of the money used to establish Dartmouth, and went on to establish the utopian native Christian community of Brothertown, New York. Occam's story, as told by Mohegan elder Regan, provides a different and important perspective on Dartmouth's founding that is not to be missed. This episode is dedicated to Mohegan Nonner and elder Faith Damon Davison, with whom Regan was to give her talk. Davison was prevented by the onset of an illness that led to her passing a few weeks later. A wise and wonderful person, Nonner Faith Damon Davison will be missed by all of us who knew her. It's my honor to introduce um, Beth Regan, who is a member of the Tribal um, the Council of Elders for the Mohegan Nation. And um, Beth was a teacher for 35 years with the Tolan High School, where she created classes in both Native American and Russian uh, history. That's a little... <laughs> She's um, an integral part of the Mohegan's partnership with the Connecticut Teacher of the Year program, and she has created curriculum um, for lessons in Mohegan history and culture for Connecticut teachers of all grade levels. I know that both my students from Staples High School in Westport, Connecticut, um, have come to the museum, and they've loved it, and they've learned about Mohegan history and culture. Um, so she holds two degrees from Eastern Connecticut State University, both a Bachelor of Science degree in History and Education and a Master's degree in Human Relations, and um, was a longtime member of the Mohegan Board of Education and a current member of the Mohegan Tribal Language Committee. So um, Beth is going to speak to us what we had um, when we learned about Eliezer Wheelock this morning. Um, Beth is going to speak to us about Samson Ockham. So thank you. Thank you very much. First, I need to be perfectly clear on how, as Walt noted, that you always have to be prepared if there's an issue with the technology. You always have to be prepared if something changes. And so I first want to say, thank you for my Mohegan family. I want to thank my ancestors. Before I do anything, I want to say welcome to the land of our ancestors. And um, I want to say that I hope that the ancestors will forgive me should I make an error or speak incorrectly. And as you may have noticed in my blessing this morning, I said, help us honor uh, our words and deeds today. And that's something that I'm really going to try to do. Um, I want you to understand that I'm flying solo today because unfortunately my elder and honor, which refers to a Mohegan woman of considerable honor and respect in our nation. So my honor, Faith Damon Damison, took ill this morning. 
and she and I were to perform this little talk today together. Right. And, what, and that's why we have some slides, and you're going to notice that some of the slides are going to be rather wordy. Our intent was not to read those to you. You, know, you can read some of it, but to comment on them and maybe point one or two things out. Because we, had a, we have a rather unique team. She and I uh, create the slides, and I've done this with her, um, with her knowledge and all of that. And she and I will, will play off one another, and it's almost like we have a conversation about what's going on. So this is going to be a little different now without my partner in crime, so to speak, but I really know that she's with us in spirit and will guide me throughout the way. And, and my only fear, but I'll get over it, is that if I don't, I, you know, she knows so much, like, well, that's a good question. Nonner, you know, so, so hopefully I'll, I'll get to answer that as well. So I really needed to make that clear today. But I wanted to also say thank you to all of you today. I think this is a fabulous, I've been enjoying myself tremendously today. The, the town of Columbia and the welcome, well, I, I can't wait to get that book. That was fabulous. I really enjoyed your speaking. I'm so looking forward to yours as well, Colin. So I'm, I'm really honored to be here. I'm honored to be here for the Mohegan Nation. I clearly cannot speak for all Mohegans, okay? No one can speak for their nation. No one can speak for all people, but I will do my best to honor who Samson Ockham was. So, but before I did that, I, I wanted to make a point about the nature of history. Now, I'm assuming you can all probably hear me well. As a teacher for 35 years, I have learned to project, okay? But um, I, do, I do want you to know that, you know, we know that history as we look under the surface, tells a very different story than perhaps the textbooks that we may have used, perhaps the, those orthodox histories, okay, or the, that of the dominant culture. So today, my chore and my honor is to try to tell that story of Samson Ockham through his eyes and through our eyes, okay? Sometimes the people like Ockham that were maybe deemed a little bit unimportant to others, okay, are those that have the greatest stories to tell. I'm going to steal a point from Walt today because I thought it was really fabulous with regards to Ockham and Wheelock because, yes, their lives were very much intertwined, and very much they had disappointment in one another. But out of that disappointment was birthed perhaps some wonderful things, okay? And I think maybe we will see that happen today. As a teacher of 35 years, from the start of my teaching career, I really had no illusions, no illusions about the objectivity of history. I knew that the historian was, as was the curriculum writer, forced to choose amongst the facts and information. There are only so many pages in a history book. There are only so many days in a semester. I was given a curriculum that was developed from an infinite number of facts, and this curriculum was directed to me to present. Okay. I started to see that Native people, and I knew this just from my teaching when I was a student, were invisible virtually. That's what it felt, that we were invisible. So I decided that it was time to bring our stories to the surface. So I, that's why I created the course for Tolland High School in Native American uh, Studies. And it became one of the most popular courses. And um, I was honored to be able to teach it because I felt like I was living who I was every day. It was spoken from, and it was taught from the Native perspective. And I made no bones about that. And that was, that was if you wanted to hear something else, then you probably shouldn't have been there. 
right? And I was very comfortable with that. So I'll try to, to tread those waters, okay, as well. But I want to say I'm not here with any particular agenda. I have no agenda here today. I believe that this 250 year, it is a time for us to celebrate the coming togethers of this three of these three groups. I've been sitting, I've been having a wonderful time sitting here with the alumni and, and other and some scholars and talking about how what a wonderful time this is in terms of where Dartmouth is going, perhaps, with native people. Okay. And I'm just so grateful and honored that we could be a, perhaps a part of that. So, so that's that I, I'd say thank you. That. So my interpretation is also influenced by my perspective. And you might see this is going to be the way I, that I tell this story, unfortunately, without faith. So I'm not here to cast a negative light on anything. I'm here to tell our truth and to tell the truth of Samson Occam. So what I was, my next line was going to be, so not her faith, <laughs> okay? So I'm going to try to ask that. And after she gave a little bit of who she was, would you shed some light on the idea, so I'm going to pretend she's here for a moment, <laughs> on whether or not Samson Occam should be considered a founder of Dartmouth? Because we hear that a lot, even amongst our own people. And this is what mine honor taught me, and, and I, I have really embraced this. She said, no, I don't think so. I don't think he should be considered a founder of Dartmouth. And you'll hear perhaps why. Because the intentions of when you, he raised those funds for the Indian Charity School were not used for the purpose that he went to raise those funds. So to call him a founder, would, he would not be happy with that. That's what she, she, in our oral stories and all of the stories of all our people, we bring those down. And she was a scholar. Faith is a scholar, a wonderful scholar. But she also knows that truthfulness there. And so that's what she would say. And I have to say, I agree. I would not consider him to be a founder of Dartmouth College. Okay. And I speak for me and Faith. I'm not necessarily speaking for all. Okay. But um, that doesn't mean he wasn't part of that web of Dartmouth, okay? I think we can say he was, right? So that's where, um, where we were starting, and she would point out to me that this was probably Occam's favorite portrait, okay? That this is an engraving, okay, and it was done from life, and it now is in the National Gallery in London. Okay, so she would say that. So all the others, and you'll see this engraving will also be doctored a little bit and colorized a little bit and made to maybe look a little more non-Indian, shall we say, as, as he becomes more well-known, too. And so this is just a short list of some of his accomplishments. And, and please be aware, we aren't going to read all the slides. And some of them will just be for your viewing. Some I'll go really quickly through. And some I might spend a little bit more time on. So that, that's what I would say with that. Uh, with him. I believe that Walt mentioned, I didn't even put this one up here, he was a hymn, he wrote a lot of wonderful hymns, a lot of wonderful speeches, uh, uh, some famous ones, right, in Connecticut as well. But just as a, a quick look at the list of his, that, uh, his accomplishments. But this is a very different screen. This is my personal journey to Occam. I have to tell you that I have what are called lunch and learns with Faith, uh, where she lives right across the street from the reservation. Okay, and um, I pick up some lunch and I go over to Face um, every day because I work every day at the tribe, and I call them lunch and learns. And I, I've been 
researching and looking at Occam for a couple of years now with Faith. And I was just recently in New York State, and I had to stop for my own personal journey at the grave of Samson Occam. And so it's easy to get to Bogusville Hill Road. That's the easy part. Okay, yeah, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> okay, it's easy to get there, but you can see me on the left hand side slide there with the historical marker if you can see that. I don't know if we turn the lights off if that would help or not. But do you think it might to see some of the? I don't know, but that's fine. And so I'm at the marker for Samson Occam where it says a quarter of a mile in. And over hill, over dale, I think is perhaps what would be best. And the farmer, um, Harry Ames, who owns that property, uh, there's a sign that's right underneath it that says no, you know, no access without permission of the owner. And he has his name. I'm so glad you know what I'm talking about. Well, and he has his name and number there. And I'm there, oh. My first inclination was just to start walking in and find it, okay? But, but I knew I couldn't do that, you know? And, and so you can see him there. So the first toby is you have to cross that, you have to cross that field. And then on the bottom left, all right? And then you get to this little sort of ravine, this little hill, okay? And you have to go down this hill. And holding onto trees is helpful. But the farmer, Harry, who's right on the right there, I'm sort of to the behind him. There's a tree there. You can't really see me all. He, he was telling me, don't worry, I can carry you over the creek if I need to. Now, mind you, he's 80 years old, okay? And, and he's bigger than me, but I'm there. Harry, have you taken a look at me? I'm not sure you want to carry me over that creek, okay? And so, so we, over the creek, uh, you, uh, you know, down the ravine, over the creek, you can see, and then into the forest. And then you will find, you'll see a photograph that was taken a long time ago later. I would not take photographs because in my, for my teachings, I am not going to, take photos of a burying ground or of a sacred place like that. I would give, I offered tobacco, I sang, I called in the ancestors, and I just was at peace there. And he was a wonderful steward. But I wanted to share that story with you because that's, I, I'm getting the chills seriously as I'm speaking here about him. And that is, I wanted to share with you that personal journey that, that Nanner Faith and Occam have taken me to. Um, we're taking me on. So that's why I wanted to start but before we get into some of the, the factual life, the factual part of Occam's life and um, how it connected with Eliezer and Dartmouth. So here, here clearly is what we're going to look at. Now, and Walt, you, you painted such a wonderful picture of this century in Connecticut. It was just fabulous. Those of you that got to hear, most of us got to hear him speak. But as I look at this, and you can see some of it, I'll go to the last uh, quote from Occam, from one of uh, Love's book, which is a rather pretty good book on, on Occam, okay? And um, what this wandering life that he's called, I'm assuming you can see that, the bottom quote in the back as well. And the life he is, he is uh, referring to is a purposeful life. It's a purposeful life. It's a purposeful gathering on the banks of the Thames River, okay, which used to be called the Pequot Mohegan River, but we know the English like to rename everything, okay? So it, that, would be, that, would be, that would be the Pequot Mohegan River. And in early spring, taking advantage right of now of like the shad and, and the rivers flowing and the herring and preparing the cornfields as we would be doing probably right now, our ancestors, preparing the cornfields. All, and then summer, we would be tending to those fields, okay, 
preserving our shellfish. You might notice I have the wampum uh, that comes from the clam, okay, on today, and, and preparing that for winter use, okay? Fall would be in the harvest. We would be drying our corn for storage, making our yolk egg, okay, and traditionally celebrating with other side, tribes when the winter set in. So this is the life he would be talking about. When the bitter winds would come across the Thames River, our family groups might split a little bit, okay, and move inland. And they would move inland and break away a little bit, retreating where it was warmer, where they could hunt and trap, okay, and live off the food that they had preserved. So this is the kind of life, a purposeful, meaningful life. But this century, as much as it was profound for the English, it was perhaps more so for Native people, for the Indians. Those of you that took American history when you learned all about all right, I'll say the phrase, manifest destiny, or the frontier, or that kind of thing. What you learned about the frontier and westward movement, all of the, if you want to call it tragedy and of that era, was perpetrated upon Native people here the century before. So anything you probably learned there was experienced by Native Americans in, in, in New England and this side of the... Um, uh, Mississippi. So that's why this, this slide and the next slide to me are critical in understanding the conditions and circumstances to which that describe how the life of, of Occam, the conditions at that time. Uh, and it's a journey back for us to look at the glimpse of what he came into when he was born. A, 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 a century of total imperial wars constantly, war after war after war, okay, when he was born. His father, as a matter of fact, was killed okay, in war, in King George's war, as were many, many Mohegan men. And this is the story that is often left out. This is the kind of condition. I mean, take a look at the once powerful Mohegans, but that fourth bullet, this is what he was born into. Rav uh, our, the Mohegans and most natives were ravaged by disease, by warfare, by the colonialism. We are still today trying to decolonize our education system. Okay, I tried to do my little piece of that. And this is where it was, we, it, the existence was so fragile at this time. Imagine bringing, uh, coming into a world where most of the men were dead. Okay, our system, our families were based on balance and that was imbalanced. And we could not, and it was a very, very difficult time. So this is the childhood that he evolves into, as you see some of those. And he had, they had to supplement. You talked about servants, okay, in people's homes, slaves, indentured servants, so to speak, we could say, in people's homes, which many of us think that might have been what his mom was doing, but we'll get to that. So if you look here, this is how his life comes about, all right, and who we were. And, and I loved that we heard about the Great Awakening and the influence already this morning, okay, and, some, and his... Uh, and the widow Sarah Ockham as well, as we already learned. And so he had a lot of verbal teachings. And think about it. So most of the men are gone. And so the women were the ones that would teach perhaps. We may not have had a formal medicine person at that time, but the women were really the ones that knew the plants, okay, the medicines, the herbs. And this is where Ockham learned that. He was a well-known herbalist. He had, you can find his teachings and readings about what to take for certain ailments. He has done that. Okay, so it's a fab fascinating uh, time. And notice, okay, the conversion, the idea of conversion. And perhaps when we think of conversion for Native people, conversion and education were probably the two ways 
in this century, think about this century, that Occam could get out of the destitution that he was experiencing. So that, that I think has to be something that we think about and learn when it comes to native people and that. So here it is, okay? And um, we'll see the conversion. It was at this time, and we heard that story very, very well, that Samson converted at about 16 years old. And he used to think I could once learn to read and write and instruct the poor children. And we saw that was one of his goals. That certainly was. He did convert to Christianity before he met Eleazar, okay, um, at that. And so, so for me, I would like you to understand the century that he was born into. And think about the warring and the, as land is getting. I heard one of the speakers next door at the school talk about a deeding of land. I mean, one of the first, I went across the street, at beautiful exhibits across the street. Uncas, you know, deeds the land to, to yeah, okay, I know. Right. Um, but, um, bottom line is the idea of ownership of the land and was more of a use, a stewardship. You can use land, and, and you probably learned some of those those ideas, and I know you're probably familiar with that, but I think that that's an important. So we see he's going to have his experience here. Um, and, and now we'll get to, I came here several months ago so I could take my own pictures instead of taking them off the website, you know. To, but those are, those are of, of this area. And we know already that he went to the Latin school, and I, I will move through this so we can get a little bit more into some of the other things, okay? Uh, and a diary keeper. You know, I've read a lot of his diaries, and I, and I might call it even sometimes more of a journal sometimes, or, or a chronology. He, he really wrote down a lot of where he went and what he did at times. And, uh, and, and you saw, well, I love the way you noted about the financing of an Indian student, okay? And so the SBG, the Society for the Propagation of the Gospel, will help support him as well. And you see how he learned at the Latin school, okay, which is, is later, uh, to have Greek and Latin. And as I know, he could have been ready to attend Yale. He was that well-schooled. But his health, as was noted, and his eyes in particular would not allow for that, okay? He wrote many, many sermons, okay? And it's, I, I learned something really new about Wheelock today, about his ability to speak, because I will share with you later one of the reasons that, that Occam was so much more well-received in terms of his oratory at times than Wheelock was, according to my teachings, all right? But I think it's because it's going to be a different time. So um, uh, he was trained by the Congregationalists, but he was a Presbyterian minister, not a Congregational. He was ordained that. I think they had enough Congregationalists, is something what Faith uh, uh, told me as well. And so that, the purpose, though, of that was if he was trained as a Presbyterian, he could take on missions in the Southeast, where the Presbyterians had a stronger hold on Native communities. So that would be part of it. Uh, however, war would break out, and, and he wasn't able to travel to the southeast. So where did he go? To his neighbors to the west, the Haudenosaunee people of the Longhouse, the Iroquois. And so um, one of the things that when he left the school was um, that's when he's going to go to Montauk. He's not going to go to Yale. He's not going to, to go there. And he's going to take some missions first. But as we see, he's going to... Uh, go to Montauk, to Long Island, all right? And this is, will be a, a very, very important place for him, as you can see, if you take a look. I, I also will bring about, I want you to take a look at the image on the upper right as well. Montauk 
is, is important. The conditions there are also going to be very difficult. Right? He will be welcomed, very much so. He will become married at Montauk, and he will be ordained at Montauk, right? and as a Presbyterian, as we said. Um, I, I found it rather, I think I was trying not to smirk too much, okay, when I heard that Eliezer was not happy with his pay, okay, as a minister, because as you can see by the last, he went two years unpaid, even though the SPG was sponsoring him and, and involved with that, but uh, they finally paid him one-sixth of that that was usually paid to missionaries, all right? And you can see his, his, his conclusion, and, and I have to believe that Occam, that would be spot on. And Faith would certainly have spoken to that, uh, on that. that. That's why he believed that. And he, we'll see some quotes about that and what he said when it comes to that. So after uh, uh, Montauk and after leaving We Like School, okay, he, this is where we see even more. And this is why I was able to go see him uh, at his final resting place. Uh, this was a really attractive place. I think if I give you a time to take a look at that first one, because you're going to see a few things there. Um, and we talked about what was called the design or the grand design that the uh, missionaries had and that Wheelock had uh, in terms of putting native missions, native Christians into native communities. You are absolutely right why that was much more beneficial to understand the culture. I mean, Walt talked about, imagine, um, you know, and Wheelock was able to assimilate on, on a, probably on a better basis than most were. But imagine, I, I meant Adam, I said Wheelock, didn't I? Okay. okay. So, um, but bottom line is just, you know, he, I'll, I'll, I'll address that later. He wore English clothes, okay? Uh, he was able to do that. But imagine how difficult it was for the children, as, as was told, to have that, to not be, to not have their old ways and speak their language. So to send an Indian into an Indian community to Christianize was something that they culturally could relate to, linguistically could relate to. They could just welcome him at a much greater. And this was part of the grand design of Eliezer, as was noted. But um, you can see, and the Iroquois language, even though uh, it's Iroquoian and our language is Algonquian in nature, it still was enough, there was still enough background for him to know, except for the Tuscarora, because that was a very difficult language uh, with the five nations, or that becomes six. The Tuscarora joined the Haudenosaunee, the five nations, the Seneca, Cayuga, Onondaga, Oneida, and Mohawk later, because they were forced, the great, great law welcomed them, and they were forced out of their homeland. And Tuscarora, I guess, was a difficult language. Faith noted, darn faith, what was it like? It was, okay. She would say, she would say that Tuscarora was like Chinese to English. That's how different it was to her, the language. That, that's as I learned so, um, of that. It was so different from the Algonquian language. So here's some of the things. You can see that how, what, what the Reverend David Bostwick said, okay, based on a letter he received from Occam about his own Anida, okay, and once again, I put in caps so you could see that, and, and Faith spoke about his illness quite frequently, that he had to return in the fall because of his failing eyes, and, and uh, you captured that as well, that he couldn't, he just couldn't do any more reading at that point, so I think that's um, very, very important to know. This is where um, you're going to see, if you look at the visual, 
And it stood on a hillside about half a mile north of the present Mohegan Church, or chapel, all right, and east of Norwich and the New London Highway. He had the first stick house built on the reservation, all right? But that will become a disappointment as well later when, uh, with his, his house. As I was talking to Farmer Larry this past Sunday, no, it was actually Tuesday coming back um, from New York, he talked about Occam having the first stick house out there as well, okay? So I said, I'm going to use that line as well when, I, when, I, I'm, when I'm in Columbia. So this was, uh, the house was in the process of being built when he goes to London, and we'll talk about that when he goes to England as well. So this house, unfortunately, was taken down. It no longer exists, all right? And it was taken down shortly after 1880, all right? And our records show that two of Occam's grandchildren, okay, Jerome and Sarah Bohema were living there at the time, okay, but it was taken down. It was in such disrepair. What were some of the issues that Occam had to face as he tried to preach and as he tried to learn uh, um, to navigate the waters of this place where we are today? And one of the issues that I think we have to bring up is the Mohegan land case issue. And I'll, I'll, I'll be rather brief with that. The dispute that goes back from the time of Uncas and John Mason, okay, on land. And um, this was fought in the colony, and it was fought for, it, looks, it goes back to the time of Uncas, centuries, right? And um, it split us, okay? And this is where I said I wanted to share with you a quote, and you can see that quote on the bottom. Can you, I'm hoping you can all read it. Are you all set? And for, for me, this is going, this speaks volumes. When we look at the words of our ancestors and we look at those stories that are told down, I think this really says quite a bit about the legacy of what, or how he felt and what was perpetrated upon Occam as well. Um, and uh, to me, all right, this colony from 1703 on, Okay, the Mohegan land case was being heard in England and in the colony of Connecticut. It was a very touchy subject for Connecticut. Right? And this is later, as I have been taught, we noted that Whitaker went with, we'll see that Whitaker went to England with them. And my understanding is, is they did not want Ankum to address this land case and the treatment and the loss of land of the Mohegan, of loss of land to the English. Okay, on the part of us Mohegans, and that was why they did that. And Occam did take a position on this with the Mohegans, and that put him in disfavor with people in the state as well. So I, I say katapton tamaj to him, and, and thank you for that. But Whitaker was there sort of to keep an eye on him. So now, now let's take a look at um, the funds and the founding a little bit and, and how Occam might play into that. Um, so yes, all right. He is going to, it's going to be planned, okay, that uh, while he is uh, serving as a missionary to the Nahantic, yes, there is a movement afoot to send him to England to raise funds for the education of the Indians who were schooled here, right there, across the way. That's where they were schooled. He's going to raise money for those funds. And I have to tell you, and accurate or inaccurate or not, sometimes your gut comes to you, right? And 
when I was in school, when I was first learning about Occam a long time ago, and I found out that he was going to be sent to English, you know, all I could think of, and I, you know, maybe it's half truth, maybe it's not, is that of course he's going to be sent to England. Of course they're going to send the Indians, send the Christian Indian, send the good Indian to England, okay? All I could think of was Pocahontas, the story of Pocahontas, another Pocahontas. I don't, you know, that's just my feeling. If we know this, I'm assuming we know the story of Pocahontas, okay, uh, being sent to England. So, but if not, you have some things you could go find out, okay, uh, as, as we come later. But I really think this is really interesting. If we look at here's that's the one he prefers. If we have Occam tried to bridge the two worlds, he would not wear his he would not wear regalia. He wore the English clothes because he felt he had. We can guess why. Faith would say he felt he needed to do that. He needed to do that, and he was okay. He was comfortable with that. But ironically, his wife would not. His wife would not wear English clothes, and she would not speak English. Now, imagine the family dynamics, okay? Well, I think, I think it's easy to understand why. When he goes to England, and when he is on missions, and even when his family is in the stick house, or when, wherever they are, He's, they are supposed to be cared for, okay? And, and I'll address that in a minute. They, never, they weren't cared for. And his wife was the daughter of a Montauk station, okay? And that was just such a dishonor. And um, we'll, 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 we'll address that in a few minutes, why she didn't do that, even though we know she spoke English. She spoke English because she wrote him letters. As a matter of fact, rather witty letters while he was in England, okay? So Whitaker probably was sent with Occam to ensure that he didn't meddle into that case, okay? Into the land case, all right? And so here we go. And uh, let's take a look at how this is an important part. During his trips abroad, he, did, she, he got letters from his wife. And, and Faith said, so we knew, everyone knew she could speak English. She just wasn't gonna. That's what she would say. She just wasn't gonna, okay? All right, so here we go. This is where you'll hear this off to London, okay, uh, and what the goals were. And I think, Walt, you spoke so wonderfully and brilliantly to, to how that came. Um, and here it was. Many people didn't realize that, that he had converted ahead of time. But he, this was the, as I understand it, and if I'm wrong, I apologize again, and I know Nanner would tell me this was the most successful fundraising event. Thank you. For, I'm getting a little confirmation here. From a state historian, I can't remember. So I, thank, thank you. If, and if it's something like just give me the eye, well, okay. <laughs> so that the most successful fundraising efforts, okay, in the colonies was this one. And uh, to me, okay, that was interesting. Now the SPG opposed the trip, though. Opposed it. All right. And why would they oppose this trip? I don't know. Does anyone want to take a guess why they might oppose the trip? The Society for the Propagation of the, of the Gospel. Well, as I understand, and that was Faith was going to address that as well. Nanner, why would they oppose that trip? Because the monies that were going to be raised for that, as I understand it, and maybe, and Walt might be able to add some light to this. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Walt. Okay, Colin, maybe you could help me out on that. Not a clue. 
He's a smart man, isn't he? You're a smart man. Faith was going to, too. So, so I asked her, so why do they, why do they oppose it so much? Well, the monies they were going to raise might not necessarily go to what they wanted it to go to. Okay? That was close enough, I felt. But also, Akam was so successful. He collected more funds, there it is, ever than, than ever before. And, and she would say it was because of Occam that it was successful. People wanted to hear him. They didn't want to hear Whitaker. And she told me, I said, so what about Wheelock? What was it? Yeah. Not her faith. Wheelock couldn't speak like that. Okay. Occam could speak. He, could, he drew in people's hearts. He, he, I understand that he was just, fa- I wish I could hear him. You know, I really wish I could hear him. And Wheelock could never has raised that money, she said. He was not as good a speaker as Occam. So I found it fascinating that he was a great speaker in, in one sense earlier when he, you know, I don't know, again, remember the nature in, of history and the perspective of history. I don't know if that's part of it as well. So nonetheless, okay, it was, okay, this was a white man's project full of rewards for its promoters, no doubt. This was conceived and advanced by men who never forgot their superiority over the benighted savages whose land that they were inhabiting. That, my friends, is a direct quote from my number. And I'll say it, I, I think that speaks to it as well, as well as Narragansetts were there as well. Okay. But really, I don't think Occam ever was allowed to forget who he was and why he was there. Right. And um, the rewards certainly will not fall upon Occam. And you can see he did fight sickness while there. Right. And I love this, one of his famous uh, favorite uh, sermons, and there's so many things you can read on Occam. There's so, that he wrote, even, was it Moses? What was the, the Amos, Amos Moses, was it? The, uh, when the, the man that was killed and he, I know, you'll, some of the speeches that he wrote. Moses Paul, thank you, beautiful. Um, beautiful, some of the sermons in, in Connecticut, this man was hung and he was put to death in Connecticut and, and Occam gave the, sermon before this death, this execution. But one of his favorites, he said, he noted the hypocrisy. And this is going to be birthed from the controversy, birthed from the disappointment that Occam and Wheelock will have with each other, comes this, okay? I mean, it wasn't birthed from that. I think this was a reality of his life, and this is what's going to come. But I think it's important to note that the, he saw the hypocrisy in folks, that, he, that Occam wanted people to live life well and love thy neighbor, okay? And he found it especially tragedy that people that professed Christianity, well, we all know the, the, the reality of it, okay, were, were the ones that would treat him so badly, okay? And that, that's what he was. Although he did feel triumphant, okay, that he raised money for the good of Indians. But I'm going to finish again on this slide with that quote. Nonetheless, from my nana, this was a white man's project full of reward for its promoters. And we know that. Okay. This was conceived and advanced by men who never forgot their superiority over the benighted savages whose land they were inhabiting. So I, from my perspective and our perspective, okay, would use the term betrayal. 
that, that's the term that, that I think Samson and some of the Mohegans would take a look. So if we look at that, you, I was talking a little bit about the promises made. Okay. This is a paradox for him, for a young Indian man. I'll let you look at that for a minute before I comment on it. Now, could you summarize some of it? Because I think some people were saying they can't oh, read it. Oh, I apologize. Of course. Thank you for letting me know that. Okay. Over on the, on the left hand, Wheelock, who had been promised, uh, to, Wheelock had promised to look after Occam's family while he was in England. Okay. He was remiss. Okay. In even supplying bare necessities. And this is from his wife. I am out of corn and have no money, any, with, and I'm afraid we shall suffer from want. Uh, we, we, uh, Occam himself and his wife, in order to supplement his meager income, constantly was making baskets, making brooms, carving spoons. One of the things that I was told in our oral traditions that Occam's mother um, may have, may have, and I use that term may have, been a servant here over at Wheelock's. Okay? And that's how she asked him if she could, if her son could come to this school. But this was something they had to do. They, his house wasn't, we have to understand the reservation system in Connecticut at that time was run by state colony, excuse me, colonial overseers. And the overseers were doling in the money and getting in the funds and distributing land. And we were losing land. And, uh, and this isn't a story of how our reservation was created, but I will say one of the things that Mohegan people did that was very unique to native peoples, even in the East here, was to, okay, how do we get rid of the overseers? We're going to buy the land. We're going to work, we're going to get the money, and we're going to become, we're going to have those private property, that land. Even though we, we understand the nature of ownership of land throughout time, that was a way to keep it. Just like if you had a, if you had a, a quarrel with the colony, sometimes the only way you could solve it was through the colonial court, through the process of those that were overseeing you sometimes. That's just the reality of it. So Mohegan people did that. It will be, if you ever come to Mohegan, and please do, come to Tantacridge Museum, come to our church. That church is the, old, the piece of land that Occam's sister, Great Lucy, kept and put in her will. That is the one piece of land that would never be sold and would stay in Mohegan hands from the time of Uncas to right now, 2019. Not the time of, yeah, the land was. The land, not the church, obviously. That would make things really too. But from the time of Uncas to today, and that was one of the reasons when we look at federal recognition and being able to show a continuous land base with a community, that church will play, the land on which the church sits and the church will play a significant role, okay? So this was, he served his purpose. This is how we interpret it. He serves his purpose, he's cut loose, okay? He's gonna be stranded, all right? He's not gonna, the funds will not be in from these funds, Dartmouth will be both. Well, for me, it sounds like a paradox. This young Indian who collected thousands of dollars, um, which, which thousands, which were almost a couple million, as I understand if you looked at modern day money, but I, I don't usually do that. <laughs> for the founding of Dartmouth College, never had the sufficient funds for his family. He will never visit the site of that proposed school. He just won't, okay? It was a bitter disappointment to him when he learned that Wheelock 
with the funds finally at hand, had decided to provide a school for the white man. I know what the charter says. I have read that charter, and I look forward to learning more about, I, I'm really looking forward to Colin's talk today on that, too, on wherever you're taking the Dartmouth, uh, wherever that goes, okay? Um, but, uh, he, you know, and, and that to me, and I got that, that was a quote that I took out of the Dartmouth College manuscript on that. And um, uh, while Occam was away, his family was forced to rely on charity, okay, and other tribes' charity and our tribes' charity for food and for shelter. It was a truly humbling experience for his wife, okay, uh, the, the daughter of a sachem, okay, who was brought to such a low station in the place that she was. And to me, I think we can go back to why she never would speak English and why she would never wear English clothes. And I think that would be uh, part of the, the reason why. And so this is what we would go to. Uh, and there's the, in the charter, the dark days, okay? And uh, it's exp some people note it as the darkest period in his life. Um, and there are some direct quotes, again, about the same, uh, it, the same time, at a time when he had the most reason, the most reason to expect some consideration on the account of his services he was stranding, having been used to his advantage and discharged. Um, and so uh, this was something that, um, you know, I learned that that was a, such a disappointment and a tough time for Ankham, as I understand his oldest son Aaron at the time was, as according to Faith, running wild at the time. And we talked, in, uh, Walt talked about the uh, alcohol, issues of alcohol as well, and this was happening with his son Aaron as well, and he, he couldn't even bring it back. Aaron never went to Brotherton, and, and that's where we'll get to in a little bit about what came out of the disappointment might have been something uh, very great indeed, nonetheless, all right? Um, this is what Occam believed. He believed that New Hampshire would not serve the New England Indians well, although as I understand it, Wheelock wanted to be closer to the Western. Remember what Western tribes were at the time? The Western tribes were New York, okay, at the time, and, and maybe the Ohio River Valley, perhaps, okay? That kind of, uh, that kind of thing. But um, that would, and you can, you know, well, y'all know the location, the people here, okay, as well. So it was closer, and he opposed this change, okay? He opposed the change, what he thought, even more than re the removal. And I know he took two Indians with him, and I know, I'm not saying there were not a single Indian there, but uh, um, as I understand it, uh, that was even more discouraging to him, all right? that to, to go away from the grand design, remember Wheelock's grand design, to train Indians to be missionaries to go amongst the Indians. So that's turned upon its head, okay, upside down. And he, to this change, he was never reconciled. I love this last quote, and I will read it. I apologize if you can't see, because I wasn't planning on reading all of it, but I do understand how we would want to. Occam did not correspond with the donors. It took him a long time yet they wished him to do so. He would not write letters back and forth after he had raised those funds. And the list of funds you can find from Dartmouth, King George III, that's all in your, on your website, I believe, as well. It's really interesting. He believed that the gentleman in England thought the school was made up chiefly of Indian youth. And that if he wrote them, he would not be silent on the truth. It would give them a disgust and jealousy that the charities were not applied in a way agreeable to the intention of the donors. 
Clearly, this was probably his biggest disappointment. And, and that is why we call this the betrayal of Samson Ockham. Um, I think Lebanon Crank might feel, have a, few, a little similar feeling when it comes to the town thought. They, you know, think of the added prestige that this, uh, of, the, of Dartmouth, what Dartmouth has grown into would add, okay, uh, as a large institution of learning could have been built, so perhaps. That would be. So I'm gonna, I, I'm, I have to be careful here because I know I'm probably getting to my time frame. So this is where I said I was gonna go a little quicker through some things that keep me going. Okay, here we go. The so-called fam. Yes, the school moves to New Hampshire. Okay. He is in sickness for a while. Okay. Uh, he, even um, his sermons, there it is in the execution of Moses. Paul, Paul I was talking about that. But um, we learn, we use this so-called fall of, of Samson Ockham because uh, we think the circumstances were so discouraging and the, and the betrayal. So he decided to visit other New England tribes. He's going to take his message to the Indians, okay? Pre preaching sermons of love, preaching sermons of honesty, and preaching sermons of light, okay? And that would be his, win his vision. So out of the disappointment of not having that school comes this idea for him to create an Indian utopia. All right. and, and where Indians can practice charity, okay, in purity, and live upright lives. And look at the nations that are going to emigrate to Oneida. And there's some fascinating stories about how he gained, gained land at Oneida. Again, I'm not going to go into all those, and, and wanted it actually to be sold and to have a deed. So if anything ever happened, they would have to, to, uh, title to that land, okay? And um, the, because the bottom fell out of his world, people. The bottom fell out of his world, okay? And he was two years in the UK as the primary speaker and the, and the fundraiser for this, and the bottom fell out. Okay, and Faith would say in this image, you might note that he's starting to look a little bit more English as the, as it goes on. They will make his portraits seem that way. So, to to as we move forward, I want you to understand what um, Ockham decides to do. He's going to live away from the rapacious neighbors and alcohol, and that's how he felt. So, this is what he is going to try to create. All right, and. Um, you know, look at the era, the 1775, okay? We know our American history a little bit. It's a typical uh, time. And so he's going to try to go to Oneida. Some have to stop in Stockbridge as you're traveling. Think about all these things. Think, you know, as you travel, the Mass Pike and the New York Thruway, think about how Ockham probably walked those paths and rode those paths, okay? And, and that's how he would go there. He declares, you know, Oneida's going to declare... Okay, neutrality. This is one of the reasons that him going to Oneida is a good thing, even in the war before, even in the French and Indian War. Having an Indian missionary go to, to try to get neutrality amongst the, the, the uh, New York tribes as well. He, Occam wants Mohegans to stay out of the war, but clearly this doesn't happen. Mohegans have fought in wars from the first, from times, from the first wars ever. Mohegans died in the Revolution. Mohegans died, died in all those imperial wars, so they have, okay? And we have the settlement that becomes known as Brotherton. I will go through these quickly, but I want you to know, this is what comes out of betrayal and disappointment sometimes. You know, I know, as my elders would teach me, in order for, think about what a 
what it takes for a flower to grow or a plant to grow and how much pain it's buried and it has to push its way up. And so out of that disappointment is born something beautiful, even though it, uh, that flower will be done. So the Stockbridge Indians, they do have Stockbridge Indians, you'll see. Here we go. I, I know I'm, I'm going to have to go a little quicker. He received a dream uh, about the Reverend Whitfield who assured him that it was a righteous path. Dreams and visions are very important to Native people. Okay, and that will be part of it. He wants to practice Christianity in its purest, purest forms. Okay, he traveled back and forth between Mohegan and Oneida. People flocked to hear him. He was very popular. He was very popular. And um, some of the Stockbridge Mohegans uh, made good neighbors. Okay, and a lot of them followed him as well. He continues to preach back and forth. He travels to New England many, many times. Okay, and um, I really think that. Uh, you know, at this time, you would have praying towns up in Massachusetts. I think Reverend Elliott would have his praying towns where Indians uh, were converted here. This was a little different than that, okay? Uh, this was made by the Indians, okay, for the Indians, not, the, not made by whites uh, for the Indians. And um, so he will set up town governments. He felt it worked better that way. Judges, okay, all people were retired to work, including women. When we can get into the role of work amongst Native people was, was, was very different. And the Brotherton Indians will build roads, okay. They did. The town meeting was a form of government that was very workable for people that came from New England, okay. And this is this slide here, as I try to conclude quickly here, um, with the life of Brotherton, I think this is part of what I think reflects his beliefs as he went through all of this, from, from being born in the 1700s into that century of, of uh, war and imperial war and colonialism, okay, to uh, being schooled, all right, to his failing health, to missions at Montauk, to learning to go, uh, you know, to raise the funds for a dream that was a grand design and a dream he had, to the betrayal of that. I think he tried to live that, uh, the life he, that came out of that at um, Brotherton, all right? He believed in the education, okay? And he had schoolhouses. He wanted his people to have a relationship still with the land. I thought that was very, very important to, to uh, point out to you as well. And um, the last slide, and you see that's Faith's comment, that she probably would comment even more. He wanted his people to have a chance of keeping the best of the old ways and the new ways as they tried to live in harmony on the new land. And, you know, that's a teaching that Mohegan brings out. If you come to the Chanticwijan Museum, you'll hear that Chanticwijan said the same thing. This is a teaching that we take down. Even today, think about Native people today. We walk into worlds today as well, okay? And to take the best of both worlds, I think... Perhaps that this gathering is perhaps showing that, isn't it? All right, that we're bringing in the best of all of our worlds now, and as we reflect on that, okay, and this sort of reflects on who he is. And the Tantaquidians would say that too, as you go to the museum, take the best ways of the white man and the Indian, and live, live, live in harmony with each other. He was never in good health, okay. Although his death still comes as a blow. His funeral was well attended, okay, by folks from all over, and was preached by the Stockbridge minister, okay, Reverend Kirkland. And the Brothertons will later move, have to be forced to go to Wisconsin, but that's another story at another time, okay? So I would like to finish by looking at the legacy of, of uh, Occam. 
And most Mohegans today, we claim our ancestry from Occam's sister. Most of us can claim descent from Samson's sister, Lucy. Okay? And all Mohegans today can claim their descent from his father, Joshua. And um, he was a person of his times. And um, I think the, the big bullet on the left speaks quite, quite well. But I also think that I'd like to finish with, uh, we are still here. We are here today. Our youth are here today. Our Dartmouth, our Dartmouth grad who is worked for the BIA as an attorney in Washington. She is a fabulous rising star at Mohegan. Sorry, Sarah, I'm yeah. gonna embarrass you. Okay. <laughs> she is a member of our tribal council and I am honored to have you here, Sarah, today. And, um, and I'm looking at, we, we are resilient. And as the resiliency of Occam has come through, I hope I just gave you a few bullets. I, I apologize for not being able to share some of the wisdom of mine honor but I know she was here in spirit. And so I would like to finish, if you have any quick questions, but I, I know I'm over my time, so I think I would like to finish by saying, I've said to you, thank you to all my relations, because we believe that we are all on the circle and we come from all four directions, the red, yellow, black, and white, and we are all related. And I say, thank you. Thanks for listening. We wish to thank Mohegan Elder Beth Regan, the Mohegan Nation, Dartmouth College, and the Town of Columbia. Check back for an upcoming bonus episode in which Dartmouth professor and renowned historian of Indigenous America, Colin Calloway, tells us about the lives of Native people through the years who were also Dartmouth alumni. For more great Connecticut stories, read or subscribe to Connecticut Explored at ctexplored.org. And for more great Connecticut history podcasts, subscribe to Grading the Nutmeg on your favorite podcast app or at gradingthenutmeg.libsyn.com. I'm Walt Woodward, hoping you'll join us next time for another episode of Grading the Nutmeg.